going to be talking about a beautiful story in the Bible in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. It's the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers and their different responses. Beth Moore tells an amazing story of a desire she had in her heart to visit a leper community and to to be able to just love the lepers and tell them about Jesus. And she shares that three times she tried to go. She would walk into the colony, but the smell of the rotting flesh was so extreme that she had to turn away. Finally, the third time, she realized that she was going to become violently ill and would not be able to do what her heart so deeply longed to do. I think when I read some of these stories, especially about lepers, I'm very detached because I really don't know much about it. Now I know a little bit more. But leprosy really affected every area of a person's life. I mean, first of all, there was the physical. It was a uh, tormenting, debilitating disease that caused a lot of pain, uh, pain and uh, physical symptoms like sores all over your body. But it also affected your nerve endings where your fingers and your toes would become mangled and oftentimes you would even lose them. And then there was the shameful process. Uh, in, back in the biblical times, I think it's Leviticus 13, 12, maybe 13 and 14, there were a lot of instructions on leprosy, what to do. And a priest would actually be the one that would declare that someone's a leper. Now, if you were declared you were a leper, you were immediately told to tear your clothes. And if, uh, and if you were to come into the presence of anyone, you would cover your mouth and have to yell, unclean, unclean, to warn them of your presence. The next part of it that was probably the hardest of all is you were a complete social outcast. If you were told you were a leper, you could not go home and hug your wife and kiss your wife or husband goodbye or your children, your grandchildren. It was a, pretty much of a death sentence unless you were healed. And so you had to leave immediately and in many cases uh, never be allowed to see your family again. Well, I'm happy to say that the story today has a good ending. Don't you love happy endings? I do. Uh, this morning, as we're talking, we're going to be uh, looking for three things, and this is really going to apply very much to each and every one of your lives. We're going to be talking about preparing for a miracle, receiving a miracle, and responding to a miracle. And I want to enlarge the definition of miracle to include really any area of your life where you are desperate for a move of God. Well, Shall we get started? I'm going to first read Luke 17, 11 through 13. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. It's interesting, so much when we look at stories in the Bible, it starts on day one, right? 
We read the story and we forget a lot have, has happened before. There's 10 lepers, all with very different stories. Some of them might have been in isolation for 20 years, others 10. For all we know, someone may have showed up that week. But what we do understand is it must have seemed like eternity for all of them. And I, I even tried to imagine the kind of conversations they would have had. I mean, at this point, I really doubt that any of them ever asked the question, do you think God is at work in this? Yet, in the darkest hour, Jesus was preparing them for a miracle. So I ask you today, what are your circumstances that seem so impossible? Is it a physical illness? You might not have leprosy, but do you have a festering wound that you have had for years and it just won't heal? Could it be a broken marriage? A child, a desire for a child, financial breakthrough, a need for purpose in your life. Go ahead and just fill in the blank. But I have good news for you today, and his name is Jesus. Miracles don't happen in a vacuum. I think sometimes we just look at something and we're like, oh, it's a miracle. But a lot of things are happening that we're not always seeing. I remember uh, not too long ago, actually, I was having a, a pretty substantial pity party, and the Holy Spirit broke in and said to me, Kathy, do you realize that everything has been stacked in your favor? Just think about that. And I remembered when a few of my grandchildren were very young, and Bob and I were playing cards with them, our goal was for them to win and succeed. We did everything in our power to make sure that those children would win. Plus, they were really sore losers. It was no fun for us at all when they didn't. So God actually encouraged me to make up little cards for myself to remind me that everything's been stacked in my favor. And I'm just going to share a few of them with you because this could go on and on. But one thing that he told me is that he's always moving on my behalf. I might not see it, but he's always moving on my behalf. Another thing, he's a good father. We hear that all the time, don't we? But do you really believe he is a good father? And Jesus, what is Jesus doing right now? When he died on the cross, he went to heaven, right? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But what's he doing? He's interceding for us day and night. He's not on a vacation. He is right there. And then on top of that, he left the Holy Spirit who dwells inside you, God himself, in you as your advocate and comforter. That is a dream team. Is it starting to sound like things might be stacked in your favor? You have been completely and fully set up for success. And when it feels like nothing is happening, look again. I was thinking of the story of Elisha and his servant. Remember that story? It's so cool because uh, the Syrian army wants to take out the prophet Elisha, right? And one morning, the servant looks out and they're completely surrounded 
by an enemy camp, and he's so fearful. And he goes to the prophet, and he said, we're surrounded by the enemy camp. And Elisha just looks at him and says, there's more for us than against us. Well, I can only imagine the, the servant went back to where he was, looked around, counted, went back to the prophet, one, two, kind of looked at him like, what? Then the prophet prayed a great prayer. He prayed, open his eyes so he can see. When the servant went back and looked, the other army was still there. But all of a sudden he could see a vast army of angels there to protect him. His view was so different and fear left. See, we have been given another set of eyes. That's another one in my cards. I can choose to put on my father's lenses. We get so stuck in the natural, but when you're in those places and you're just thinking, I'm being prepared for a miracle, but where is it? Put on your father's lenses. Another, my last one, God does not withhold. That's what his word says, but he does delay. I'm going to tell a story about myself that is really pitiful. Um, and it's a story about not being prepared. Fortunately, it was a long time ago. But I was like one of those kind of late bloomers. And when I graduated from college, I had no idea what I was going to do. So I actually went to an employment agency, and they sent me on a job interview. So I go in the job interview, and they offer me this job, and it sounds like really cool. It's as a sales representative for a pharmaceutical company, and they're going to give me a car in this enormous sales territory, and I'm like really pumped. So I'm on my way walking home, and all of a sudden it occurs to me, I don't have a driver's license. I mean, it wasn't like I had gone to driver's ed and knew how to drive, and I didn't have a driver's license. I absolutely had no idea how to drive. And truthfully, I think my parents were just too scared to teach me. So they suggested I call Sears Driving School. Well, I took maybe four or five lessons, and I thought, oh, I think I'm getting the knack of this. Went and took my test. I flunked. By this time, it's getting really close to starting this job, and they have no idea what they're getting in for. So I call Sears, sign up for a few more classes, go back. This time, I pass. Well, the first day of work comes, and Mr. Gunkel is picking me up at my house so that we can go to the car dealership and get my new car. It's pouring rain, the most imaginably bad storm you've ever seen. I get in the car with Mr. Gunkel. We go to the dealership, and I get the keys to my new army green Ford Galaxy. It was <laughs> enormous. Well, Mr. Gunkel is parked next to my car, and he says, okay, we'll just get in the car and drive and follow me. Well, I turn it on. And I'm trying to get this car to go, and I'm trying to get it to go. Nothing. I think it's something's wrong with this car. So Mr. Gunkel gets out, pouring rain, sits next to me in the passenger seat, and he looks. And he says to me, you have to put the car in drive. <laughs> this is how bad it was. I, was. I had the car in neutral, and I was gunning it. And I wonder if sometimes we don't look like that to our father, 
He wants to prepare us for seasons, but all we want to do is drive that car, even though we have no idea how or where we're going. So I just want to encourage you today, if you're in one of those seasons that seems dry and weary and long, be encouraged. When you read the Word, notice that so often the truly greats, the people with the greatest destiny, had the longest preparation season, right? I mean, look at Abraham, Moses, David, Joseph in the Old Testament, and Jesus, who actually started his ministry when he was 30 years old, right? So I want you to look at the person next to, him, to you and tell them they have a great destiny. And say it like you made it. <laughs> okay, let's get back to our story now. So what did God give the lepers to prepare them for their miracle? The first thing that I see is he gave them each other. Now, I'm just guessing here, but I imagine they didn't consider it much of a gift, right? Yet, these ten men came together in a very unlikely way. I mean, they were brought together basically by misery and hopelessness, but God changed all that. Little by little, he let hope seep in. And I just want to show you this morning how he did that. The first thing he did is he gave them the word. Now, they don't have the fullness of the word like we do, but at least the Jewish lepers were well aware of the Torah. They knew of the coming Messiah, and they knew that this Messiah was going to heal the brokenhearted. Now, we as New Testament believers, I've read that we have up to, I've Googled this, so it's definite information, um, that we have up to 7,000 biblical promises. So do you think there just might be something in the word that you could hold on to in a hard season? I just um, encourage you, Whatever you might be going through, go to the Word and see what it says and hold on to that Word. But I think the absolute biggest thing that he gave the lepers was actually a testimony. Now, the great thing th that we have right now about going through the whole book of Luke is we see the whole story, right? So we can look at Luke 5 and see that Jesus actually healed a leper and uh, chapter Luke 5, I don't have the exact verse, but you can look it up. I think it's verse 1. And this guy was intense. This was the first Jewish leper ever healed, and it was a big deal. And because Jesus wanted to continue ministering in that place, he said to the leper, don't tell anyone, but go to the priest. That's what they had to do. Not only did they go to the priest when uh, they were declared a leper, but if you uh, were healed of leprosy, you would go back to the priest. And this was like a really big miracle. So this guy, he's supposed to go to the priest and he's supposed to be quiet. But I want to read to you, actually, I love this, out of Mark chapter 144. This is what it says about this guy. He published it much, and it blazed abroad. Now, how's that for keeping a secret? Don't you just love that? This guy was the master of testimony, 
But what I love about this is I'm sure that those 10 lepers heard this testimony. A leper has been healed and everything changed. Their conversations went from hopeless to hopeful like this. I really even believe that they rehearsed. You can almost see it the way they all yell out together, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That this is what they did. They thought of that coming day when Jesus just might come to their village and they might be healed. You see, testimony really does change everything. It increases our expectation and our faith. I really sometimes wonder if that leper hadn't shared his testimony, if these 10 lepers would have ever been healed. They could have easily gone into hopelessness and not showed up every day looking for Jesus. So I tell you this morning, do not underestimate a testimony. You understand this intuitively. If you have a problem in your life and you've heard of someone else who had breakthrough on the other side, that's who you want to talk to, right? Testimony means do it again. It's calling forth, Father, you did it before. You can do it again. So I believe that we have an obligation to share our testimony, not only for the benefit of others, because um, it may just help them with their miracle, but to glorify God. And another thing that, Jesus, or that God gave them, he gave them the faith to show up and ask. The word says you have not because you ask not. And it seems like such an obvious thing. But oftentimes, people simply don't ask. I want to just talk to you for a moment about what the obstacles might be for you not asking. I mean, I've heard a lot and you've heard a lot. Oh, it's too big. He can't do that for me. It's too small. I don't want to bother him with something that small. He's too busy. It just really goes on and on. But I want to pause for a moment and think about this one. I'm not worthy. Whether you have verbalized that or not, one of the biggest obstacles you may actually have from not asking God is that you don't think you're worthy. But what I want to tell you today is there was a great exchange on the cross and you are worthy because he gave you worthiness. I just want you to imagine the greatest artist of all time and there's a piece of artwork and he gives it to a museum and they hang it on the wall and people are just admiring this piece of art. It's not about the museum, is it? It's the work of art. You are a masterpiece. God's called you that in his word. And you are supposed to be there, shining for all to see the beauty of Jesus. It really has nothing to do with you. And if were something to happen to that piece of art, the artist was there, you wouldn't get a pain for us and try to fix it, would you? You would ask the artist to help you. We spend so much time trying to fix our problems that he's just saying, just ask me. I want to help you. So I encourage you to do that too. I hope you're just listening to all the ways that we're actually prepared for that miracle. Because I'm going to continue. I'm going to actually backtrack. And we're going to talk now about receiving a miracle. So let me just read this and part of it. We covered already. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. 
they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Receiving a miracle. When I read this story at first glance, my thought is, one good guy, nine guys, who didn't do a very good job of thanking Jesus. I mean, that's the least they could do, right? But do you realize all ten leopards did a lot of things right? All ten leopards showed up, and all ten asked. They didn't argue. I mean, sometimes with us, we hear about a miracle and how this person was healed, and we look at it like a formula, and we think that's the way it's going to happen every time. Well, the last leper, Jesus touched, and he was healed immediately. These lepers, Jesus didn't come near. It says they were far off, and Jesus said, go to the priests. I personally probably would have argued a little bit with Jesus and said, well, don't you want to lay hands on me or touch me? But they didn't. They were completely obedient. They were walking in faith before their circumstances changed. How about you? Could it be that the thing you want most is on the other side of obedience? Are you listening to what he's telling you to do and then doing that? I love that. As they went, they were healed. Now you need to understand that according to the Old Testament, they were still under the law of what you had to do as a leper, right? They're going to the priest, and they're going to be meeting people, and as they're going, they're shouting out, unclean, unclean. This is what they had to do to warn. And as they are going, they look down. Their hands that had been completely mangled are perfect. Their feet, toes that are missing are completely restored. The sores are gone. And they walk faster and faster to get to the priest so that he can declare them free and they can be reunited with their family. Some of them hadn't seen their family probably in 20 years. Who knows what their stories were? But each of them had a beautiful story and their heart's desire was to return to their family, return to their jobs, and get back to life. I understand these guys perfectly. I think I'm one of them. How often when something happens to me do I just move forward in distraction instead of returning? 
But one leper, one leper returned. One leper, a Samaritan, hated by the Jews, yet healed by a Jewish man, returned. This man had spent so much of his life shouting. Every time he came into the presence of people, he was forced to shout, unclean, unclean. And then, even as he was preparing for a miracle, he stood afar and in unison with the other lepers, yelled out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And now he returns to the priest, to the high priest, to the source of his healing. And he shouts out, and he glorifies God with a loud voice. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does the intensity of your thanksgiving match the intensity of your asking? Think about that. I'm an intense asker. If I want something, he's going to hear about it. But what about my intensity of thanking him? Your salvation costs you absolutely nothing. It costs Jesus everything, but it costs you nothing. But sacrifice? Sacrifice is different. True praise costs you something. It's called the sacrifice of praise. The other nine returned to their families. Good thing. I can get that. But one turned around. He returned to Jesus. He returned to the high priest and offered a sacrifice of praise. You know, when you think about it, praise, when you see God's nature and his extravagance, it's the only sensible response, isn't it? And did you know there's a different kind of healing. All ten lepers were physically healed. But you can be physically healed and still have a sick soul, can't you? But the one who returned, when Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well, the word is sozo. Sozo is a different kind of healing. It's that wholeness when body, soul, and spirit, everything is completely healed. It's the fullness of what God wants to give you when he heals you. A sozo. So some of you have always wondered, what does that word mean? Well, now I think you're getting an idea of the wholeness of this healing. You know, it's so funny, I think, in the... Uh, English translation, we read the Bible and we just don't get those nuances that there's different words for healing. And sozo is such a special, beautiful word. Um, praise and thanksgiving help bring that beautiful, full healing to us. When I think about the leper who was fully healed, 
The thing that I think he understood was intimacy. You see, praise and thanksgiving bring us to that place of intimacy. It's what we were born for. It's what we were created for. It's what we had in the garden. He longs to be intimate with you. This man didn't really care much what people thought about him, did he? He fell at his feet and he worshiped him loudly. That almost freaks a few of you out, doesn't it? I mean, just the thought, what would we do today if someone did that? But he didn't care about people. He only cared about Jesus. What is your story today? Have you returned? Have you returned to the high priest to give him praise? Or are you distracted? So many of us have received salvation. Our leprosy is gone, right? Yet, we have not returned to thank him. We have all the benefits of our salvation. But what we really need to do is thank him. I have good news, though. When I was praying about this, this is what I heard. This one man received sozo. But what about the other nine? As we know from the beginning of the story, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was about to be crucified. All the leopards would have heard the news that this man, Jesus, was crucified, and they would have known he is the Messiah. I bet every one of them fell on their knees and worshipped him and thanked him for what he did. And I bet all ten received so-so. You know, that's the beautiful thing about God. It's never too late. You can return today. It was funny, yesterday, I found this letter, and I thought it fit in so perfectly. I hope when I read this letter, you'll understand uh, how much it applies today, and it has nothing to do with myself or my husband who passed away doing anything that was special. But I just want you to read this letter of someone that delivered it to our doorstep seven years after an event. I don't remember all the details, but there was a young man. He was probably 19 or so. It was 1999, and he had come to the valley and planned on working for Skiko, but he got here early and found himself in a position where he had nowhere to live, no money, and didn't know what he was going to do. I'm sure it was my husband who invited him into our home, and not me, and um, he was a great guy. I mean, I don't generally like people staying too long, but um, he was amazing. I mean, he was really handy and just pleasant to be around, so there was nothing self-sacrificing about this. But I just want to show you this letter of someone thanking seven years later, and I want to share how Bob and I felt afterward, and I hope I'm not going to cry, but I'm pretty sure I will. <laughs> so... Here it goes. All right, I'm not going to read all of this to you, but it says, um, I am the young man who helped you in, I'm sorry, I am the young man you helped in the fall of 1999. 
So much has happened in the last seven years. After the winter in Aspen, I moved to Boston, then Maine, then Phoenix, where I actually reside. I have been married and divorced, no kids. I have a good career going, and I enjoy a much better financial situation than I did when I lived with you. I can't begin to tell you how much your actions have impacted my life. You may think it wasn't much, but I would disagree. I had no shelter, no food, and no money, and I was 3,000 miles away from home. Yet you provided me with an opportunity to resolve some of these things, and I can't thank you enough. Now listen to this part. Beyond your immediate help, you've influenced my life. Because of your openness and kindness and generosity, I have felt compelled to return the favors to others in need. One of them is Omar Mohammed, a Sudanese refugee that came to the States with a family, one leg, and a tumor on his back. We were able to get him a new artificial leg and an operation for his back. He's doing quite well now. I consider myself very fortunate to have had the opportunity to meet you and know you. I hope this letter finds you well and you're in good health. You don't need to write me back. I just really wanted to thank you for all you did and the pos positive influence you had on my life. I read that. Bob read that. And how do you think we felt? Were we mad that it took seven years for him to thank us? No, we bawled like babies. <laughs> There's just something about saying thank you. There's something about returning, coming back, and offering that thank you. I was thinking today, wouldn't it be amazing if all of us considered something this week, what if we wrote a letter to Jesus? Jesus, it's been a long time, 30 years ago, when my life was so dark, when I had nothing, when I felt hopeless. You invited me in. You offered me salvation. You changed everything in my life. I'm sorry it took so long, but I want to take today to say thank you. Or maybe there's something else. What are those areas in your life where you need to return? The areas where you have not paused to offer the king a sacrifice of praise and thank him. In a moment, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to take communion, but what I'm going to ask all of you to do is just sit still, Kara will be uh, playing quietly in the background. And I want you to really engage with Jesus. I want you to ask Holy Spirit, where are those places in my life where I need to return? Understand, God is not mad at you. He loves you. Today's a perfect day to say thank you. You know, when we got this letter seven years after, my husband had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. 
you know how wonderful it was for him to read that letter? Your timing, maybe it could have been better, but to maybe today, for whatever reason, is the perfect day. So as Kara plays, don't come forward, just sit there and ask Holy Spirit to help you and then start thanking him and praising him. And think about writing that letter this week. And then in a moment, I'll come back up and we'll have communion.